Dear listeners, this is Interfaith-ish. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and every other Wednesday right here on Tacoma Radio, we bring you bold conversations about what we believe, why we believe, and how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. This week, I'm joined in the studio by Kyla Dixon, a member of the community at All Souls Unitarian in D.C., who's a coach with Toward Justice and a former senior advocacy specialist with Miriam's Kitchen. Good morning to you, Kyla. Good morning. And also joining us is Robert Warren, a practicing Muslim who is director for People for Fairness Coalition and contributor to Street Sense Publication. Thank you so much for joining us as well, Robert. Good morning. All right. Well, sometimes on this show, we have folks who are meeting for the first time, and that's very exciting because we get to make new friends. But on this episode, we actually have some uh, long-standing collaborators, so that's very exciting as well to deepen that understanding of that collaboration and provide an opportunity for you guys to chat about your uh, your work and vocation here in, in our fair city. This week we've been experiencing a sudden drop in temperature in D.C. and and for myself, I definitely have been, uh, it's been a time that I've been grateful that at the end of the day I have a place to, to go in doors and have a, a safe and warm place to sleep. But it has me thinking about members of our community who aren't as fortunate to, to, to have that, that home to go, go to at the end of the day. So, Robert, I want to start with you and just ask, would, would you consider that homelessness in, in Washington, D.C. Is, is at a crisis? Uh, yes, sir. I, I think it's at a real critical point. Uh, and just some of the conversations around people who are what we like to call unhoused or uh, who are experiencing housing disability is just really, you know, uh, this time of year is the time of year where we at People Fairness Coalition are most concerned because this is time of year where, you know, folks are under the threat of freezing to death or dying, you know, from preventable causes. Mm-hmm. So, so it's really it's a hard time for us. And I just, yeah, I try not to be stressed and just really try to get through it, you know, and uh, not worry myself to death about folks who are out there because uh, I know there are a lot of folks who won't go into shelters. Mm. Yeah, in fact, um, I read a, a recent report on, on NPR that D.C. has a homeless rate of over 100 people per 10,000, which is the highest in the nation, um, which is ahead of uh, Boston and New York. Why do you think D.C. has such a high rate of homelessness? I think it's because uh, just this city has chosen to focus in on uh, other residents and bringing other residents to the city other people to the city who can, you know, provide certain revenues to the city coffers. Mm. And uh, and a lot of times the folks who've been living here uh, and who are aging now, they just are not one of the city's top priorities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of sad for me. Uh, being a lifelong D.C. resident and knowing that 80% of the folks who are out there who are homeless are, you know, were born here in D.C. Mm. Uh, so uh, just, yeah, just the causes. I think D.C. is one of the most gentrified cities in the nation. Uh, it's been reported. I know there's a lot of talk around displacement in public housing and how we're going to address things, you know, in the city to make it more 
um, to call it uh, equitable mm-hmm. for everyone. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, it's gets hard though. Kyla, one of the things Robert mentions about about gentrification, obviously a concern across uh, the city. Um, do you see this expansion of the of the gap between wealth and poverty as as being really a, a moral issue as much as it is a, a, an economic issue? Oh, for sure. I think uh, when I when we think about homelessness and the way that that impacts. Um, being able to, I think about a person that I walk past every day as I walk home from work and, um, the person is in a wheelchair sleeping under a bridge and what it does to all of us that walk past that one person where we have thousands of people that are living without their basic needs Mm -hmm. to what it does for our souls to have to dehumanize that person enough to leave them out in the cold without their basic needs of housing is it is a moral issue for all of us. And I think if we look at um, the way money is distributed, it is harmful to people both that, um, if we're, to all people that are living without access to wealth and people that are living with access to wealth, uh, when we overemphasize um, privilege and, and access to resources, we are not able to tap into um, the spiritual source of what actually is is sustaining. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and really, this is it's something that not just about adults, but obviously it's families as well. Their mm-hmm. children, so forth, that are involved in this. Tell us a little bit about about what you've observed in terms of how it's affecting families and young children. Mm. Well, you know, I guess for me is it's always been kind of personal when we talk about families and mm-hmm. young children. Uh, my daughter, who was four at the time, with she had a brother who was three, two, and one. She has three younger brothers, and they were actually evicted from public housing uh, in 2010 in December. And I think that's against the law, mm. actually, to evict evict the family during hypothermia season. Uh, and and that was almost. A eight-year journey of being homeless off and on for eight years for them and uh, watching them go through that and her being at D.C. General during the time that uh, Felicia Rugg was taken from that facility and no longer heard of, uh, heard from, uh, was real hard for me. And knowing that what those families were going through I've talked to a lot of women. I've actually talked to women who have small children who are been housed through what they call rapid rehousing and just the stress of what they go through. Uh, it's really hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, yeah. Kyla, I want to ask you about um, how you first got involved with uh, this advocacy work and, and community organizing. Yeah, I was working at the Human Rights Campaign, um, organizing religion and faith program there, and one and um, really committed to engaging with people of faith around deep issues around LGBT equality. And 
uh, was actually on my BlackBerry. So this was a while ago, <laughs> walking down the streets in DC, organizing a conference where a bunch of faith leaders were going to come together. And I realized there was a man sitting on the street trying to get my attention. Mm. And I was trying to do good in the world, but mm. missing people that needed attention that were getting denied mm. their basic rights here in front of me. And I made a shift that day to work locally and get connected. Mm. And that's how I learned about um, People for Fairness Coalition and the work that they were doing and um, learned a lot by the people um, that were organizing people experiencing homelessness in mm. this city. So literally uh, taking up that, that, that idea of being present that that yeah. mindfulness and being present in 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 your immediate space. Yeah, that's interesting to have that that spiritual connection. And how is your your background as a Unitarian informed then the work that you do? Yeah, um, I, so Unitarian Universalism it, for me is deeply integrated with justice, and I think the uh, my faith and justice work are inseparable. Um, if we think about the principles of um, inherent worth and dignity of every person that demands us and me to show up in a really different way when we talk about people being denied their basic dignity of having their basic needs met. Mm -hmm. When we talk about seeking justice and equity and compassion um, in human relationships, when people are not given the affordability afforded the basic needs of community and and a stable home to go to that really demands something radically different from me and my community and how I show up. Mm -hmm. The community at All Souls is one of those leading, I think, institutions in the city that's doing a lot of work. Can you tell us a little bit about how All Souls uh, works with the homeless community, both as an advocate, a service provider, a, a maybe a place of, of sanctuary and refuge for folks. Yeah, I and I started um, my community organizing training through All Souls mm. with the Washington Interfaith Network there. Um, and ha there has been a lot of work around um, housing advocacy and um, housing as a human right um, through All Souls over time. And I think the work that we also are doing at All Souls is about um, transformative work and that both is how we are in community with one another. Uh, through the work of um, working at Miriam's Kitchen, I really realized the interconnection around racial justice and homelessness and that if we don't have um, uh, understanding about the history of housing discrimination and the way that racial in inequality is deeply interconnected with homelessness, we um, can easily perpetuate and reproduce harmful structures. Mm -hmm. And so at All Souls, we are also um, living out the, what we call the eighth principle, which is a spiritual journey towards wholeness to um, intentionally uh, intentionally break down racism and other forms of oppression through accountable relationships. Mm. And that work of transforming the way we're in relationship in our community also is transforming the way we're showing up in the broader community of, of DC. So what does that look like on, on sort of a day-to-day -day practical basis? Yeah, so I'm most involved in the restorative justice work and the, um, and the, transforming our relationships of how we're, we're together. And so part of that is um, when there was a conflict that was racialized and having space for people to 
come together and doing circles so that people's really people are naming the harm that was done. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a particular incident that happened at the community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, and being able to uh, change the structures of how leadership within the church, it, so that we have equity within the church structure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, some of it is harder to translate uh, onto radio, mm-hmm. um, but thinking about how we are structuring our um, decision makings mm. within the church uh, and how we're structuring um, the ways we're engaging with the community. Thank you. Mm. Robert, was there a particular experience or a set of experience that formed your commitment to uh, working with the homeless community? Well, uh, I guess for me, you know, when I became homeless, you know, Last time I was homeless in the District of Columbia, 11 years ago, uh, it was uh, in 2008. Uh, we're all engaged in hoping change, and you know we're hoping to have the first black president become president of the United States. And I remember it was you know in May of 2008, and I was going to you know, a shelter up on the historic grounds of San Elizabeth Hospital, 801 East. And it, it was, it had been raining all day that day and the sky was beginning to clear. It was a full moon. And I remember, I remember being a little apprehensive and uh, just about what I was getting ready to experience by going into that shelter. Uh, I had been couch surfing with relatives and friends for a while. And, uh, you know, I just decided, you know, just to, you know, to go back into, you know, a little bit of shelter. And, uh, and just going in that shelter and seeing men who I knew to be homeless when I was homeless 10 years before that uh, kind of just kind of changed my life. Hmm. Uh, I kind of felt like that the Lord had put me there for a reason. And uh, I kind of began my advocacy that day, you know, uh, I had been doing some work in the homeless community uh, prior to that, but not on the level that I started in, you know, in 2008. Um, I heard about, I was actually trying to do some writing, so I heard about a, a, a church where you could go to where they had a group there called Street Sense, uh, and they had a, a group that would meet there called Will Write for Food, and uh, I engaged in that, and... Then I heard about another place where you can go do some writing therapy called Murham's Kitchen. Mm. And I went the wrong day. And, you know, in, in this basement, you know, this this great organization, uh, uh, Murham's Kitchen, uh, that, you know, was serving folks who were experiencing homelessness in the community. And they had a group there that was forming called People for Fairness Coalition. And I set in. And uh, and on that group, and, you know, we began to advocate for ourselves. And I mean, when we all came together, we were really like what one of us said, tore up from the floor. Mm. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of issues. And uh, But what we knew was that we didn't have a seat at the table. And, you know, it's been a long fight. And uh, we're still trying to have that seat at the table. And so, yeah, that's been kind of my... My journey uh, with uh, trying to bring about what we call a human rights to housing here mm-hmm. in District of Columbia and actually 
have a public policy that actually states what that means. Mm. And now yeah. you're the director of that of that coalition. Yeah, I became the director. I think I'm the, been the director now for hmm, let's see, it's going on six years. Mm -hmm. Before we came on air, uh, you were sharing a little bit about about some of the spiritual ministry that that happens in in the city as well, mm -hmm. and you were talking about. Um, uh, fellowship that happens at the Church of the Epiphany. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I guess the Church of the Epiphany is another big part of my life. Uh, just being there and uh, being a part of Street Sense Media, uh, being a vendor and contributor, uh, I started going to their Sunday breakfasts that they hold for the homeless community every Sunday, and they hold church service, and they hold... Bible study and uh, and we have these these kind of like interfaith dialogues mm. uh, during the Bible study because me being a Muslim, you know, I kind of read the Bible and you know I'm taught as a Muslim to believe in the Bible and uh, and so I, and I know that the Bible for me I I read the Bible and I know that the Bible talks about the Prophet Muhammad. It, I know it for me I see. Uh, Christ Jesus speaking about the prophet Muhammad and his mm -hmm. coming. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, and like I say, I'm taught to believe, you know, in the Bible. And so I've had these dialogues and I go to church there and I also go to Jumal service there on Fridays. Right. That was an interesting piece of it, that that same church hosts Muslim prayer on Fridays. Yeah. yeah so that's one of the things I love about the Church of the Epiphany. Uh, it's just... Uh, yeah, it's just a really great, it's a great church. Uh, there are a lot of churches in the city uh, who that does great work, you know, with the homeless community. But I think Church of the Epiphany is one of those churches that uh, open their doors up to people, and uh, I think they ha have a feel that people are people, and uh, to have do my service in that church on Fridays. It's been a great experience for me. Uh, I've, you know, I've been doing that for hmm, last, almost last, yeah, for a while now. It's been, I can't even remember not going to Juma service at the Church of the Epiphany. Mm -hmm. So what are, what are some of the, the things that, that various faith communities are doing either as an individual community or in an interfaith context um, that, that you think are, are strong examples of, I think, uh, meeting the needs. I mean, you know, Ashbury, you know, with, I think, Wynn Ashley works at Ashbury also, uh, Washington Interfaith Network. Uh, I know they do a lot of great work with the homeless community also. Uh, and for people who aren't familiar with these organizations, what are the types of activities that they're doing or programs or initiatives? I know Wynn works with uh, the homeless community and other groups around their advocacy and their fight for certain justice in D.C. And I think they move, come and t try to help you not necessarily take over what it is you're fighting for, but to help you in that fight. Uh, to be a seat at the table like you were talking about. Earlier. Right, right, yeah. And to really shift power of who's yeah. making those decisions. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think, I think... Uh, you know, I, I'm just really grateful for them, and I know I I know folks who 
I know they've helped us, Ashley, when we're actually trying to fight for CCMV, one of the largest shelters on the East Coast that holds, I think it holds, how's about somewhere up to 950 homeless individuals mm-hmm. that's in that shelter. And it's uh, a few blocks away from Union Station and uh, and about three, four blocks away from the U.S. Capitol. Right. It's prime real estate here in the District of Columbia. Um, and they were trying to close it down? Yeah, I mean, the city has uh, kind of neglected their obligation to that facility as far as uh, the city and city and federal government kind of owns it in some covenant that Ronald Reagan started way back when uh, with Mr. Mitch Snyder. And uh, Wynn came in and helped us kind of organize, you know, uh, being able to have a public hearing about that shelter and um, having uh, roundtables and um, coming to some solutions about what could happen with that facility. And it's kind of sad to say that even though, you know, with all that help and all that work that went around CCMV, we're there now holding secret conversations still about what's mm-hmm. going to happen with that facility. Uh, and we're trying to get folks, make sure that folks have a say. You know, I think, uh, you know, the property is supposed to be used to help less fortunate residents in the District of Columbia. That's, that's the covenant. Uh, I don't know exactly where the city is on that conversation right now, but uh, that's one of the tables that you know we're fighting to still try to be at, and yeah. one of the conversation we're still trying to have. And CCNV's history is really fascinating in this city, and it it speaks to a moment where a lot shifted around how faith communities and um, and nonprofits were started responding to the homeless crisis that was that really emerged in the 1980s in this city. And we have been in crisis mode since then in a way that we have thousands of people without their basic needs Mm -hmm. um, and dying on our streets. And prior, there was a lot of political action and organizing and building um, and shifting power among people that were experiencing homelessness, among people that were here um, uh, advocating for um, the against the Vietnam War, that peop- there were um, coalitions of folks that were coming together saying that this crisis, people cannot die on these streets. And one of the huge wins was getting that building at CCNV. Mm. And we saw, I think we still see, and I'm part of Service to Justice, which is about moving our service and advocacy organizations from um, what can often be thought of as like a missionary model um, to really doing justice. And so often our faith communities are so critical for meeting people's basic needs because people need food, they need shelter, they need housing, they need... Mm -hmm. um, Talking about having a place to sleep for the night, having a meal, having that type of services being provided, toothbrushes and and showering and so forth. Yeah, those things are critical because the way... Our city is working. Our government is not providing that kind of housing. And we are seeing people without those basic needs. Mm -hmm. And um, we are doing, there's real 
need to shift who we're listening to as the solution. As Robert has said often, the people that are around the table um, making decisions about how we address homelessness often have never experienced homelessness. And we come in with ideas about what the solutions are without being really knowledgeable about the racist policies that have led to homelessness in the city and without mm -hmm. having the good avenues to really hear directly from um, people that are living in housing instability in the city and getting displaced at mm -hmm. mass rates. And this, and this idea of projecting or a sense of the other onto the homeless community as if somehow um, our religious communities are exempt from people who are going through hard times um, that are, or or even um, at you know at risk of being evicted, right? Mm -hmm. That 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 people are on the precipice of of going into homelessness and catching that, providing for people's needs before they get to that that crisis situation. I'm curious what your perspectives are about how those those conversations, I guess, around being being inclusive or or recognizing that even if we ourselves are not at risk for being homeless, folks within our community might be silently mm -hmm. going through something that, that might end up with them on, on the streets soon as well, if not, you know, just hungry that night or whatever the mm -hmm. case may be. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I mean, I come from a belief system that, you know, for the Lord's grace and mercy, let the workers work. And, uh, and I have a great deal of respect for people who are in the business of helping people. I've learned to have respect for those folks. At the same token, you know, I, I you know, People Fairness Coalition, we've had members attend what we call the National Alliance Conference to End Homelessness every year. And those conferences always are about the business of homelessness. Mm. They're not, they're never really focused on what are the public policies uh, that's going to get us to what we all say we believe in, that housing is a human rights. Uh, I met a guy who actually started what they call the Viaspedat, which is a, what they kind of do a vulnerability study around homeless folks and see who's most in need and how do we kind of weigh how we, who we're going to help and who, and who we're not going to help and what kind of intervention are we going to give certain individuals opposed to other individuals? Um, and this individual told me, he said, you know, that housing is not a human rights. It's a commodity. Hmm. And I said, wow, you know, housing is a commodity. Okay. Well, you know, then I thought. Because we're thinking of the commodity of a house you right. know, or yeah. an apartment or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he's like, housing is the commodity. So I'm like, well, if it's a commodity, then it's a commodity that should be universally affordable to mm -hmm. everyone, mm -hmm. you know. And so that's kind of like been our fight, you know, just trying to educate folks about what do we mean about universal housing rights and what is the public policy that's going to get us there. Yeah. Uh, and that right there is always a hard conversation for us and trying to actually get our coalition partners and folks that we work with that's in the business of helping homeless people to actually take up that mantle, it's 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 been a journey for us, uh, and uh, and yeah, that's what we 
Yeah, I mean, like I say, you know, I respect folks, the Marim's Kitchens, you know, the you know the churches, the mm -hmm. Church of the Epiphanies, and you know the Winds, and and all those different organizations, the, the you know, that do great work in the business of 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 helping homeless people. But when it comes to really fighting for what's going to be that 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 real solution, that public policy that's going to address people's needs, uh, we have we have such a long way to go and uh and so much uh i think when speaking to one of the when uh organizer put it perfectly you know we have to look f to charity and we have to be organized and we have to have actions and uh right now we're not quite there we mm. we got we have some ways to go this kind of ties into a question that i had you know, obviously, we would love to see a world where housing is a human right, where nobody is is without a home, without a safe place to sleep at night, without enough food. As you're saying, we've got a long way to go until we get to that to that place because of the structural issues. And it seems like, um, on an individual level, you can look at the issue around homelessness and 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 feel sort of paralyzed by it because what can any one person do, you know, or maybe even one, one particular group, right? It seems like it's such a big issue affecting so many people. Everything from giving somebody a dollar, giving somebody a sandwich, to volunteering at a, at a soup kitchen, to organizing your community to have a clothing drive. Do you feel like all these things have to work in concert together in order for us to address these issues? Or, or is it the type of thing where you sort of have to pick your space to work in? You know, not everybody's going to necessarily be at the march. Not everybody's going to be organizing the drive, but somebody could at least give a dollar. If you're not comfortable giving a dollar, then try to organize something else. Yeah. What do you think? I think thinking from a um, spiritual and religious perspective, that mm -hmm. like basic notion of respecting people's dignity mm -hmm. I think it, everyone can do that as we walk down the street. One of the things that is so, I've heard over and over from people that are living without a home, that demoralizing and dehumanizing aspect of people walking past them and not seeing them. So I think each of us humanizing people that are on really hard times and are in a crisis moment in their life, knowing that that could be anybody that people I love have experienced homelessness. I think most of us, if we're real with one another, know people that have had hard times and really just seeing the humanity in people is something each of us can do. Mm. I also think it's, it's critical for each of us to understand um, the, the systems and structures that got us to this place. Because I think that there's radical change that needs to happen to transform the way our society is working so that we can have housing as a human right. So that people can have um, their basic needs met. And I, uh, with Service to Justice, uh, Brittany Washington, one of my colleagues, um, and I are thinking through this uh, principles of what is an anti-racist organization, particularly thinking our roots being in homeless service organizations, but um, what are the principles of that? And thinking about reparations as a key, uh, moving wealth and, and then healing, really having space to heal. And then also imagining we don't know 
a world yet where we're actually able to see the dignity of everybody mm. in full force. Mm. And how do we imagine together, take action and be in movement and in relationship together? Um, and I think that there are different ways that people will plug into that work mm -hmm. uh, and for people to kind of understand the broader picture of what's happening is important. Mm. Mm -hmm. If you're just joining us, this is Interfaith Itch, our bi-weekly show on WOWD 94.3 FM, where we discuss the common ground and differences between our traditions. This morning, I'm having a conversation with Kyla Dixon, member of the All Souls Unitarian Community, who is a homeless advocate, and Robert Warren, director for People for Fairness Coalition, who is a practicing Muslim. In the first half of our program, we heard about our guests' journeys and practices and how they're working in our city. And now, as we do every episode in the second half of our program, it's time to turn the mics over to my dear guests to ask each other some questions of their own. As I mentioned at the top of the show, often we have guests meeting for the first time, but today we have a pair of long-standing collaborators. Even so, this is an opportunity for you two to ask each other anything you'd like to follow up on about each other's stories, your spiritual journeys, uh, anything you are familiar with coming in today that you um, want to understand better about each other's traditions or anything you might have misunderstood. On our show, we seek to model constructive and respectful dialogue in the spirit of learning, while at the same time not being afraid to roll up our sleeves and get into some interfaith-ish. So I uh, will turn it over to Kyle and Robert. Robert, I um, have known you as a tireless advocate for many years now. And I have been forever impressed with your ability. Um, I'm thinking about the years when you would work all night and then come in and organize People for Fairness Coalition and lead and then go to a, a major advocacy action at the Wilson Building and be involved in every coalition. There was just a an ability to tap into and be plugged into everything that's going on that might end homelessness. And I wonder for you how your faith gave you the source to be able to continue and persist even when you were in personal hardship and, and showing up in ways that were inspiring to everybody. Mm. Yeah, I think for me, like I said, you know, I, I, you know, there's a verse in the Quran, and it talks about for the Lord's grace and mercy, let the workers work. And there's another verse that talks about how that it is a commandment to stand up for what's just. And uh, and I think for me, that's always, you know, I think is is justice for folks in D.C. who was born and raised here to be able to live and, and prosper and own and operate businesses and, 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 and enjoy life and not have to, uh, you know, be always in what we call survival mode or or just living traumatized lives. And, uh, and you know, it, it was hard for me trying to work a job at GW Hospital at night and 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 go to those meetings all day and you know there was a lot of times where uh i just wanted to just really want to just just quit you know just just you know uh 
I know my family used to tell me all the time, you know, saying that's all you do. I know, you know, friends that I would have, they would say that's all you do. I don't know, it's gotten harder though now that, you know, my mom's, who was like my best friend and uh, somebody that I could have these conversations with around housing and the city and what was going on. She's now suffering from dementia and, and Alzheimer's and uh, and going through that the last couple of years, you know, uh, I've been like all up in my head and 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 really feeling bad for me. It was me, me, me. And now that I, you know, I had to cry that out and really start thinking about my sisters. And I kind of feel like I'm in a good place again, you know, with what I'm doing. Uh, yeah. And so I just want to ask you, though, Kyla. So I never know, knew that you were, you know, a member of uh, All Souls Church. I was actually in that church uh, just a week ago mm -hmm. when I was taking orientation for, uh, you know, Consumer Health Foundation and joining that, you know, joining that organization uh, that talks about racial equity. And I know you talked a little bit about uh, the Service of Justice Conference this year. So just wondering, what 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 are what some of the goals this year for Service of Justice Conference? And mm. what do you guys really want to try to get out of that this year? Yeah, great question. So Service to Justice, we're doing, we've moved into really doing training, mm. providing training um, as the next step. And so actually on Monday and Tuesday, we're launching um, Rooting Out Racism, which is really about tapping into the transformative power of people and organizations um, in the service and advocacy realms in DC and giving people some of that, the sinking into the history that um, we know is is what uh, is perpetuating homelessness and, and the poverty in the extreme now. Mm. Um, and then also, um, giving people a space to be imaginative and create together and for us to build relationships in really transformative ways. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the um, training will be offered uh, this Monday, Tuesday, and then we'll be offering it every other month and really working okay. on building relationships and a network from there that'll allow us all to transform. All right. I know, I, I know we talked a little bit earlier before we came in and I just wanted to also just kind of just pick up on that line because I know I told you about how I feel like sometimes uh, we I feel like folks are trying to check boxes on us and uh, and I know I also said you know I really appreciate and believe in folks that's in the business of helping people so how do you make sure you're just not really just checking a box though that's a great question and I think um, I believe that there are a few things that are critical for us to make real transformation rather mm. than just um, maintaining the status quo that is so broken right. and harmful. Mm -hmm. And one of them, I think, is actually looking at wealth movement and looking at a reparations frame and figuring mm. out how are we shifting resources mm -hmm. and centering people of color in that analysis and, and, and centering people that when we look at whether we're being successful, we look at the people that are most in the margins. We look at the people that don't have access to housing. We, and we are 
centering those folks when we look about whether we're being successful or not. Mm -hmm. And that decisions are helped and informed by folks that are currently in the margins of our society. And then I think um, how we're building accountable relationships. So it's not about me sitting somewhere and having the solutions to how we change things, but really being in relationship and having accountable relationships where we're um, informing the solutions together. So I know I'm kind of like an interviewer too, you know that, right? But yeah, that's the purpose of this part of the show. We want it. We want to have you guys. Yeah, so mixing it up. So I guess the other thing is right mm-hmm. is uh, you know when you say accountability, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because you know public housing in D.C. I don't know if you heard, but it's supposed to be two point two billion dollars in disrepair. Mm-hmm. And me personally, I find that to be criminal. Yeah. You know, and I and I and I've talked to Director Garrett. And this is a guy, he's not from D.C., right? That's number one. He's only been here, I think, a few years. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he really feels D.C. residents. And, 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 and he is the person who said that he would be the one that's accountable. Mm-hmm. And so now I, you know, I know that if I was running an organization or a company and I was the said CEO or somebody supposed to be in charge, and that said organization had lost that much money, you know, I would probably be fired. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would think so. Mm-hmm. And uh, so how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you guys plan on just looking at that whole public housing, the land, and, you know, because when you say service to justice, there's a lot of injustice that's right now that's occurring in the city. So how do we make sure that... That conversation around public housing and that land is not being uh, forgotten in this conversation. Yeah. I mean, I think it starts with knowing our history and the current day context, right? So um, we, I think, knowing that and really being clear that we started this city by stealing land from the Native folks that were here, right? And the way that public housing has been defunded in this city over generations and knowing the way that the market rate housing currently is is actively displacing people at this current moment Mm -hmm. and being able to be really clear and honest about the way that that history is tied our long history is tied to exactly what's happening and being reproduced unless we come up with radical alternatives and are in relationship that allows us to do this work in in um, bold ways right now and for the long haul. This is something that we can't do short term. We need to be in relationship with one another in ways that allow us to push through the huge barriers that are going to be coming in our way and Okay. Move together. What are some of the organizations that you're looking to kind of like partner with? I mean, like the Branch for the Cities, mm-hmm. the uh, you know Merrim's Kitchen, mm-hmm. the Way Home campaigns. Uh, mm-hmm. How do you how do you really build uh, organization? You know, yeah. really build strong partnerships in order to bring about that justice that that we seek. 
So we're starting with a group of 20 people that are meeting on Monday and Tuesday that represent 15 different organizations across okay. the city and we'll um, hold another meeting. We have another 25 folks that want to join it, uh, hopefully in January for mm. the next training and want to have time where people, so it's not just organizations, but people that are really trying to and want to see the radical change happen both within their organization and across organizations and to create the power to, um, and we're using community organizing tools and training mm. to create this um, base of transformation. So hopefully this will just be the launch of building a network of people that are really um, trained together. Right. Um, and I know you, you are so deeply connected with so many different change agents in this city and mm. um would love to um hear from you who where do you think the real change is going to happen um and the source of mm. hope and faith and change yeah I, I, for me i think like 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 you we're trying to be in conversation with a number of different organizations and and, and groups I know in order to, I think it's that first part that, you know, like I was telling you about when we did, we talked with the organizer from when, you know, I think that first part is charity and we have to be able to uh, meet people where they're at and be able to compensate them for their time. And uh, and that's the hard part because some folks, like I said, a lot of folks are in that survival mode. They've been traumatized. And they're not going to be able to go to the Wilson Building and do testimonies. They're not going to be able to show up to uh, certain events. And so the folks who are able to, you know, and want to, I think we have to build up a support system for them. So one of the things that we're looking at trying to do in 2020 is actually form a homeless, homeless union. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're trying to work on that and bring that into fruition where we can have a group of people who will be, uh, you know, paid to go and fight for folks to be able to work in the continuum of care. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we want to make sure that anybody that's getting money to, you know, is in the business of homeless, homelessness is actually hiring homeless people. Uh, we want to make sure, we want to make sure that folks are able to, people who are serving the homeless community, uh, like Merham's Kitchen. Now, Merham's Kitchen does a great job, a very balanced meal. But we want to make sure that, you know, we're looking at, you know, the level of, of, of the food, the plant-based, making sure it's plant-based mm -hmm. foods. Because uh, we know in the homeless community we have a lot of folks who actually, once they're housed, we have a number of folks who are dying, you know, of preventable causes. And a lot of it has to do with the quality of food they're eating. And uh, so we want to look at that. Uh, we want we want to focus in on health and wellness, uh, making sure that the health providers are there. People are getting the health care services that they need that is at a certain standard. So I think that's the big thing we want to do in, in 2020. Also, we're going to be working with the D.C. Fiscal Policies to, to continue our fight to bring about uh, public policy uh, that will allow folks to have uh, universal housing rights in the District of Columbia if you qualify for it. One of the things that really struck me when I went to one of the National Alliance conferences and the keynote speaker was Cory Booker 
And he said that one in four individuals who actually qualify for some form of housing assistance through our tax dollars actually gets it. And I think that needs to change. So we're going to continue that fight. I want to thank you both so much. This was such a rich conversation and, and, and very informative. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to encourage uh, any of our dear listeners who are listening to this program to follow up with you, to, to look up the work of the uh, People for Fairness Coalition. I assume can can get in contact with you, Robert, correct? Sure. Uh, yeah, you know, we uh, do an annual vigil and memorial service every year. So we're in process of planning that. And we're always looking for support. And organizations and groups that's willing to come out and fellowship and uh you know and remember people who died without the dignity of a home uh, uh so we're doing that event on december the 19th and the 20th this year and uh yeah we welcome folks to come out and engage with us and look for some real solutions around ending what we call homelessness in the district of columbia Great, thank you. And uh, Kyla, uh, you've got some workshops that are that are coming up. You want to just quickly plug that? Yeah, it, um, rooting out racism is going to be. Uh, we're starting on, on Monday and Tuesday, but we'll have another one January thirteenth and fourteenth. You can access information. Um, probably the easiest way to get there is through my website, which is kyladixon.com. Great. And uh, I want to encourage folks to join the good people at uh, the Interfaith Council of Metropolitan Washington at their interfaith concert uh, tomorrow night. It'll be at Washington Cathedral. Uh, more info for tickets and everything can be uh, found at ifcmw.org. So, dear listeners, that's a wrap on this week's Interfaith-ish. I want to, again, thank my guests, Kyla Dixon and Robert Warren, for joining me. As always, I want to give a shout-out to my fellow interfaith astronauts Miranda Hovmeyer and Sue Katz-Miller, and our musical maestro, Jeff Philosopher. And thank you, dear listeners, for spending your time with us. You can find our entire back catalog of Interfaith-ish episodes on all podcast platforms. Uh, we're on social media at Interfaith-ish. I-N-T-E-R-F-A-I-T-H-I-S-H. And you can keep writing us about the Interfaith-ish you wish to dish at interfaithish at gmail.com. Uh, special thanks to everyone who supported us during our fun drive, which happened for our last episode. We had a great time playing all your messages. Uh, and you can leave new messages on our special listener line, 202-599-2953. Can't wait to play those messages about what you've learned from um, our shows. Interfaith-ish will be back in two weeks. Until then, keep it locked to WOWD 94.3 FM for great music and programs seven days a week. Streaming online at TacomaRadio.org.